In our study of 1 Peter, we have arrived at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Let me read that. I hope you have your Bible open, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In our study of 1 Peter, we ought to remember these very basic things that this was written by an apostle of Jesus Christ, Peter, and what Peter wrote, the Holy Spirit gave to him to write. He wrote this to Christians in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They were suffering, and Peter wanted to provide from God the instruction, the encouragement, and the imperatives they needed for their continued patient endurance of suffering, knowing not only would their suffering end, but beyond that, there would be glory promised to all the followers of Christ. Now, we are at a place in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, that puts us in touch with some of the richest teaching we can use to navigate the difficulties of life on earth with faith and obedience and hope intact. If you are a Christian and there are areas in your life that are troublesome, stressful, or you're coping with adversity, please listen to this passage, take it to heart, and take it from this class into your life. This passage begins by reminding us who we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter believed it was important for Christians he was writing to to know well their identity in Christ. Suffering here on earth, whatever type of pain it may be, it puts perspective into life if it is endured by the activity of faith. But through all of this suffering, we may endure here on the earth with whatever perspective that we have that's good, part of that perspective is to be clear about 
who we are. And we've studied some of this already. We are living stones in God's spiritual house. We are a holy priesthood. We are offering up spiritual sacrifices, pleasing to God, acceptable to him through Christ. If you know your relationship with God through Christ, if you are clear about who you are, that clarity provides great assurance and endurance to get you through suffering. It just seems to me that must be the apostle's purpose here, for we know he is writing to suffering Christians. And for us, I believe this teaching can have the same purpose, to help us navigate through difficulties, the varied trials that we have to endure while we are here on the earth, knowing who we are in Christ. So let's take up each expression here for just a moment. A chosen race. Today, Christians are God's chosen race. We made reference to this in our first class back in 1 Peter. In verses 1 and 2, we are the elect, a chosen race. If you are a Christian, this is a description of your identity, and that's of great value in getting through trials. You don't want to give up or walk away from God and no longer be a part of his chosen. And then a royal priesthood. Back in verse 5, a holy priesthood. Here, royal, functioning under the king. And back in verse 5, offering spiritual sacrifices through Christ acceptable to God. We have the Old Testament to train us in what priesthood is about. It is about approaching God, bringing offerings to him. Through Jesus Christ, we are able to offer to God our praise, our thanksgiving, our obedience. And that truth helps us stand strong in time of difficulty. A holy nation. God has a nation of people. This verse is not about America. This is about all of God's people, wherever they are, all Christians, the church, a people for God's own possession. We belong to God. We put ourselves into his special possession, his ownership, when we obeyed the gospel. There should be great joy and motivation when we consider we are God's own possession. Now, look with me into the middle of verse 9. For that phrase that shifts our focus from who we are to what we are privileged to do, it says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, this is duty. This is obligation but I believe the emphasis here is on privilege and that which we will naturally want to do as the people of God. If we are the people of God and we appreciate who we are, this is what we will naturally want to do and consider a privilege, proclaim the excellencies of him who called us 
out of darkness into light. Let's talk about proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. Let's think about this a minute. Focus on proclaiming the praises of God. I used to think preaching the gospel was all that was. It was the exact equal to preaching the gospel. I saw the word proclaim and immediately thought in terms of proclaiming the gospel. My present understanding is this takes in more than just preaching the gospel. It really is about a whole way of life. You live in such a way as a child of God, everything about you proclaims the glory of God and leads people toward his marvelous light if they're willing to come out of darkness. See, you can relate to people certain facts from the Bible. Sin is the problem. Christ is the solution. To apply that solution, you hear, believe, repent, confess, and you, you're baptized and you live right. That's all true. But really, proclaiming the praises of God requires much more than giving people certain facts. We must give them the whole picture, and we must give influence by how we live to accompany the facts from the Bible that we present. God's people in their manner of life, in their preaching and teaching, and in their involvements with other Christians in the local church, in all of that, we proclaim the praises of him who called us into or toward his marvelous light. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Add verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Uh, there is movement here from the past to the present. And it isn't just movement in time. It is change of condition. You once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Movement in time from past to present, that is a change of condition. Before you obeyed the gospel in your condition as a sinner, you were not a part of God's chosen, not uh, one of the living stones, not a royal priesthood. But in your obedience of faith to Christ, when you repent and you were baptized into Christ, there is a change of condition. So it can be said to Christians, you were not a people, but now you are. You had not received mercy, but now you have. This is a quotation from Hosea, and Paul cites the same passage in Romans 9. It would seem both in Romans 9 and in the case of this text, a particular application is made to the Gentiles. Yet there is the broader application that is appropriate to all of us, having to do with this change of condition, pivotal to the time when we 
obeyed the gospel. Let me go ahead here with three quick takeaways, and then we'll move further into the text. This is all about privilege. It's captured in words that should be firmly placed in our minds to help us navigate the difficulties of life on earth. We are a part of God's chosen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and concentration on who we are before God should enable us to navigate with hope and strength and good discipleship the difficulties of life on earth. Proclaim the excellencies of God in your worship, your work, your life, your teaching, your preaching. Tell people about God and how excellent he is. And tell people that they can be a recipient of mercy. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, let's move from 11 through 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So, we are sojourners. We are exiles. We're only here on the earth temporarily. Our permanent citizenship is in heaven. Given that status, here's what we need to do as God's people. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. That is a prohibitive word. We are forbidden or prohibited from this. Similar context in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, we use this word in dialogue today about sexual promiscuity and premarital sex. We affirm the value of abstinence. Also, people who refrain from alcoholic beverages and recreational drugs are sometimes called total abstainers. So the word abstain has to do with not participating in the thing identified. God has the right to forbid us, to tell us to abstain from any form of sin. The NIV says sinful desires, or in other translations, the passions of the flesh. In Henry Thayer's dictionary, his Greek-English lexicon, his explanation of fleshly uses the word animal three times in one sentence. I'm quoting page 569 from Thayer. Having the nature of flesh under the control of the animal appetites, having its seat in the animal nature, aroused by the animal nature. Barnes comments on fleshly lust as being those desires and passions as the carnal appetite prompts. Let me ask you, when we talk about appetites or desires, where do they first show up? 
Where are appetites located? In the mind. These words, lust, desires, passions, appetites, identify inclinations that occur in your mind. The law of God stated by Peter in this verse is, you need to control what's in your mind and therefore your appetites. A Christian who is a sojourner here on the earth should not even entertain those desires. We should stop that process of fleshly lust in its inception before the appetite even occurs and certainly before it is fulfilled. If the thoughts do arise, we should immediately reject them and repent of having those thoughts. Peter teaches we ought to gladly surrender to all the training and nourishment God's word supplies so that we can abstain from things that war against the soul. That has to do with the damage. War against the soul. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now, that's the negative side. Let's move now to what might be called the positive side. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they may speak so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The NIV says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's be real and honest here about ourselves. When you are falsely accused, what temptation may occur in your heart? Not just to defend yourself, but there may be a temptation to lash out against your accuser, the desire to injure, the malice back in verse 1, to damage your enemy. Yet we know that isn't right. Peter earlier in the chapter said, put away, put aside all malice. So here you are, the victim, the object of a false accusation. It is not right, fair. It hurts. You were tempted. What do you do? You keep your behavior excellent. You respond to the accusation with excellent behavior, the behavior God has required that we engage in. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Let me give us some very quick takeaways. I'll come back with those takeaways after just a few seconds. So the takeaways from the passage we've studied here are obvious right on the surface. Knowing who we are, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. 
knowing what we're supposed to do, proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. I like the statement in verse 10, but now you are God's people and we are sojourners and exiles. Our obligation is to control our thoughts. The passions of the flesh wage war against the soul and the best defense, the best defense when we are accused is a godly life. Come back and be with us next time. These videos are presented to you by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas.